John Wertheim here. Welcome. Another Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. I am on the road. Quick trip to L.A., but I figured we would do a socially distanced, in-person podcast with uh, this week's guest. It is Ken Solomon. Ken is the chairman and CEO of Tennis Channel. For the full disclosure portion of today's show, my uh, neutrality here is non-existent. Ken is a friend, a collaborator, and a boss at Tennis Channel. Know that, but really it doesn't have much bearing on this conversation. Um, Ken talks about Tennis Channel, its growth, its plans, why sports ratings are down across the board in 2020, and why tennis is king. Um, After the French Open, Tennis Channel in the ATP put out uh, a statement announcing a partnership that uh, Tennis Channel would be the American home of ATP tennis. So we start there, talk about that deal, and then meander a bit. So uh, this is a fun half hour in person with... uh, Ken Solomon, one of the real creative forces in the sport of tennis. Here we go. A, thanks for doing this. B, we all saw this announcement right after 2020 French Open that Tennis Channel has uh, some, some new business, new slate of programming. Just lay it out for us. What what are we getting here? Well, it, uh, it as you have read and alluded to, we have added the one component of the ATP tour, the men's tour, Obviously, your your listeners know it well um, that we didn't have, uh, which was the essentially the quarters, semis, and finals matches from the North American events um, live uh, on all platforms, uh, as well as um, the ATP World Tour finals, and the it is interestingly not that many hours, and we've been in business with the ATP for years and years and 15 years and have the vast majority of the rest of the tours which has grown in size and scale and we can talk about that later what's most important about this deal is that it is the it it, it signifies turning the corner on creating for the tennis fan a single destination where they don't have to turn the channel to enjoy and continue to enjoy the story from first ball to last of now the biggest events in on the North American continent. So the, the foundational question that I suspect came up when you made your pitch and it's come up afterwards is basically is, is, tenor, is tennis better off with this niche channel that does its thing very well or are they better off with the network that can spend $20 million an hour literally is what they spend on uh, Monday Night Football. So do you go with this giant where tennis is not going to be uh, top tier and may even in some cases be an afterthought, or do you go with Tennis Channel? When you made your case, yeah, how'd you make it? Well, we made it, John, over... I mean, this required more vetting than being a Secret Service agent. Uh, it, it, This is something, in a sense, we've been making for 15 years and made aggressively and pointedly over a two-year period to virtually every constituent involved with the ATP and largely in the tennis world. Uh, But it's one that was already proven. And if it hadn't been proven conclusively and without a doubt, there's no chance it would have happened. They wouldn't even have seriously invited us. And I can give you chapter and verse of the examples, but what we were able to show in every single case was where we 
went from the original model, which was shared network, sharing rights right. with larger networks before we had our own scale and could reach the national audience ourselves. Um, that that worked really nicely because we could do parts of the, the bulk of an event and and the and what was known as the important stuff um, uh, could be on a larger platform. Increasingly, that became a problem for viewers because they said, "Well, wait, I don't want to." It would be the equivalent of watching the entire NFL season and then watching maybe just the playoffs and the Super Bowl somewhere else, completely different with a completely different group at different times that hadn't been set up the same way. Um, and, uh, and it's not a question. We have now conclusively shown that it's exponential how many more people will be able to enjoy all levels of the sport and back into a more general appreciation of it. We are a few days removed from Medvedev beating Zverev at the Paris Indoor. And I watched it. Uh, I'm, I'm a dedicated fan. Um, I know others did too, but it it does beg this question, how does Tennis Channel take advantage of this great virtue of the sport, which is international players, international audience, international venues? Yeah. How do we, uh, how do we scale tennis internationally? Well, it's, it's happening, you know, and, and it has been happening for 15 years. It's just one of those slow curves that, uh, you know, you don't know it while you're in the middle of it. But again, this is sort of, this is part of the answer to that question, which is the thing that opens the funnel at the top in the tennis world to the non or casual tennis fan or the person who just never got it, um, but watches occasionally is either the majors, which obviously uh, we participate in in our way and you participate with us. Um, uh, and And then next after that is these very events and these very matches. So if you say, we, we do every trick in the book, as you know, for making movies like The Great Strokes of Genius, written by John Elworthy, to, uh, to short form, to, you know, the, we could go through the long list. We, we, do, we have hundreds of people who wake up and go to sleep every day thinking about how to make tennis art and relevant and popular. But if you said, what is the one thing that outside of the majors um, that you could do, it would be to have the quarter semis and finals of the largest North American tournaments of Indian Wells, Miami, Cincinnati, Canada, um, and the World Tour Finals, which we built into a franchise, which will continue to grow, to use to bring more people in and back them into the rest of the year-round sport that we know and love so much. Had tennis too this year. We did great. Tennis as a whole, first of all, um, you know, this is not the way we usually like to position it, but lost less than most sports, right? It was off about thirty-ish percent in terms of in terms of viewership. In terms of viewership, right? Um, yeah, which can, which is you're right. I mean, people's thirty percent decline, but in yeah, this it's crazy it, for any variety of reasons. Uh, we'll, that's, we'll take we'll it take in a heartbeat, exactly. and in a world that is, you know, for a lot of reasons with an infinite amount of variables that you and I have talked about before, and happy to talk about here. But, um, but Tennis Channel, uh, I think, again, all put in the context of the moment, uh, actually took advantage, uh, to borrow our own term, that we, we were able to first, we felt it really important, as you well know, John, to stay on the air and stay connected 
with the fans because tennis is a lifestyle, not just a sport. It's something that people live with on a continuity basis on our air. We want, so we wanted to make sure that we were on every day and figured out the protocols to do that studio show and Tennis Channel Live three hours a day, every day, and build that around. And then the reopened tour. As soon as the ATP and the WTA and the majors declared what they were going to do, uh, which was not do anything for a while right. until really just before the U.S. Open, we said, great, let's work with stakeholders around the world to do regional events, called it the Reopen Tour. And, you know, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. I think we were able to put events on the air with the best players in the world and everything from Germany and Austria and, you know, uh, to the Murray brothers in, in London and the UK to right here across the United States and did really, really well um, in terms of keeping that continuity, keeping the sport alive until the tours came back. Uh, we just finished Roland Garros, uh, as you know, and uh, and are in Paris right now, or just finished Paris Indoors. And, you know, we were way, way, we had the best October we've ever had, but obviously Roland Garros that is helps. normally in yeah, May and exactly. June. Um, so May and June weren't as good. Uh, but you know what? It's a marathon, not a sprint. And, you know, we're we're back to, again, we had an unprecedented October. And, you know, I think there's light at the end of the tunnel and we're feeling really good. And tennis has had overall an incredibly impressive record just in terms of staging events safely. We have a, a lot of variables, including uh, in the last 24 hours, some, some good news about a vaccine. What are you hearing, thinking, planning for in terms of next year? Uncertainty. <laughs> Q, you know, Q1 for sure, right? Yeah, yeah no, we feel... Um, we feel very, uh, uh, when we built the strategy I just talked about, which was, it was really a bridge strategy, which was, look, when the tours are there, we're there, because that's what we just talked about. We have both the ATP and we added that to the WTA, which we had done a similar deal with several years earlier, as you know, putting the two together. But when they took a break, um, we were able to create this strategy that said, well, while they can't do it, doing regional events were proven to be virtually 100% safe, with one notable exception, which was unfortunate. And, um, uh, but literally across the board, I think there was a total of one positive, and it was, we're not even sure it was you know, Francis Tiafo who came back and was fine. Right. So, so if for some reason we were delayed, it would be unfortunate. We don't, you know, it seems tennis has the advantage of, of being a sport where people are separated by a net, as you well know, and, and are, are socially distanced in terms of the competitors. You've got large stadiums. The French, uh, I think, did very well. They got through that entire tournament without, as far as anyone I've heard, a single positive from mm -hmm. either a fan or from a player. Um, and I think they, they had a thousand fans a day. They probably could have had 5,000 just as easily. It better to be you safe think? than sorry. I really do. I think the protocols, um, that were in place for 5,000, um, probably would have worked. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have gone down to a thousand, but I, I think that you would have just distributed people around the stadium all the way up at higher levels. Right. And they probably could right. have taken, right. if there's one criticism they probably could have monitored people a little more closely in terms of how close they sat next to each other and yet no positives that we're aware of which statistically is 
pretty amazing. Pretty remarkable. I mean, you just... and it, it proves, I think, the larger point, which is one that maybe, as tennis often does, gives us larger lessons in life, which is if you pay attention to this and you put logic behind it and everybody buys in and you don't have a choice to not buy in if you're going to go to an event like this, right, where it's a limited number of people, then you can do it safely. And I think that was that was why the USTA really broke through in a way that should be applauded because there were, I don't think people were wrong to question whether or not, uh, you know, the open should have been staged. We certainly felt it, sh it should have been, but I understood why people felt that way. And they proved that right. they were right, that it could be done properly. And, uh, and, and I'll, go, uh, I'll go one further on that. Imagine if the U.S. Open had not been staged and yeah. we had NFL season opening that weekend and we had basketball playoffs, which granted was in a bubble, but we had, we had baseball, all the other sports had snapped back. Imagine if the U.S. Open had said on May 1st, you know what, see you in 2021, they would have been absolutely pilloried. Y yes, no, I, I agree. I mean, forgetting the decision from a, from a business and from an organizational and from a long-term health perspective, not in terms of biological health, but the health of the sport, it would have been cataclysmic. And, and, they had, and so I, I shouldn't even have mentioned the doubt other than there were people who didn't, right. uh, who just don't No, no, it was very much general. a debated issue, and, sure. And I think, it's a very tough line to know how far you should push, but they were right and they knew what they had and they knew what they were doing and they worked the protocols, they worked the science and they enforced it rigorously. And the enforcement combined with the protocols proved to the world something that became inspirational, that you could do a two week event with 128 men and 128 women in singles alone and and by the way, do the prior event that's normally in Cincinnati on the same location right. without fail. And, you know, that's inspirational. That's what, in a way, that is, again, what sports is so great at, which is showing us how to live our real lives. I told someone this was, this was the greatest USTA triumph I had witnessed since uh, I cover the sport. Um, you, have, uh, you, have, you have four players. They now have, my math is right, 80 majors among them. Um. What do we? Uh, what, what what advantage is, is this for some men to tennis channel? But also, what spinning this forward? What does the sport look like in five years when it's unlikely? Certainly, all four of them will still be here. My guess is that we had this dis discussion five years ago and probably ten years ago, um, and uh, and and so my prognostication uh, is clearly can be thrown out the window. I don't know when it will happen. We just know it will happen, right. like death and taxes. At some point, we won't have the big four, if you will. Um, uh, look, we're very much of two minds on this. On the one hand, you have four of the greatest athletes of all time and solo athletes, and, and we have celebrated them together, and we have illustrated their careers together, and they continue to blow us away. I mean, the fact that Rafa did what he did at, at Roland Garros to Novak Djokovic, the world number one and undisputed at the moment, you know, dominant player. It, 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 he, he disputed it again right. in quite firm <laughs> right. fashion in a way that is just, I was right there. And, uh, and it's just, it was breathtaking to see. But, you know, we've also longed for 
you know, to see a Dominic team and a Zverev and 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 a significant list of young players who are really feel like they're the ones. You know, we've talked about the generation in between who who lost out, and it'll be a great bar bet someday in the future to, to whether or not it was just the big four or that they weren't quite as good as the next generation who finally did it. But you see those wins and yet you don't see them very often in best of fives as opposed to, um, you know, three out of five. And look, part of it, interestingly, we don't talk about this very much. Maybe there's got to be a little something that's attributed to the fact that they don't have a lot of chances to, to, to contest best of fives. You know, it used yeah, to be right, it right, used to right. be that that was a fairly regular format, and it was and and when everything moved over, we all know. And I, by the way, I love it, and I I, I pray it never goes away. Um, that there is they're completely different sports in many ways. When uh, uh, psychologically, the difference between a three out of five match versus uh, our our colleague Martina says believes that the women should do you know that there's no reason why women can't do it as well. Um, the tours and the uh, that, that would douse equal uh, that would douse equal prize money. Um, no, so, someone actually at uh, as we as we honor Alex Trebek, someone just wrote to yes. me. It's a, it's a great example. He said, "If you and Ken Jennings had a question on Jeopardy, one question, you know, maybe he doesn't know it, and maybe you do, or maybe it's something that flukily you happen to have come across, or maybe it's about a movie you just saw. If you had a full board of questions, if you had forty eight questions or whatever it is." You ain't beating Ken Jennings. And they made the same point about best of five. That, you know, best of three match, who knows? You could get hot. You're serving great. You know, Rafa's a little dinged up. Or Jovkovic's head's wandered. Over best of five, the cream's going to rise. And And it's uh, not, it's not the first place you go is to the, is to endurance, which it's sometimes the factor. But as I think everyone who listens to you would probably, most would probably argue the beauty of tennis is it is a game in which the psychology of figuring out the answers, um, if you give a master long enough, as you just said, they're going to beat you, but that's why they're a master. Right. They, they know right. how to win on their worst day. But what's, um, you, you entered a long-term deal with uh, the WTA, now a long-term deal with the ATP. Yeah. I, I'm not even questioning if it's sort of concern or not concern, but just strategically, how do we account for the fact that these four pillars may not be playing tennis in five years. Um, you know, with equal amounts of reverence for what they've accomplished and also we'll be happy to have the, the, the next generation. It's always been the case, right. right? We just can never imagine that anything could match Sampras and Agassi or Laver and Rosewall and it just, it, this is, or Martina and Chrissy and, and Venus and Serena and, the, and yet, you know, I always go to, one example recently, which we remember within the last couple of years, where one single match in one day made Coco Goff one of the most mm. famous people on the planet, right? Where a 15-year-old girl beat Venus Williams in the first round of Wimbledon. And, and that's mm. all it took. And no one wasn't going to watch her if we put her on after. And, and she obviously held up. So I have no fear about the star-making capability of tennis that is one of the things that makes the sport so special because you learn so much about who somebody is through sometimes just one contest keep going with that what, what are some of the surprises that are uh, embedded in the data i mean what what are some of the uh we, we've talked about this a little bit about what the the 
match with the highest ratings in tennis channel history is not yeah. what you might think. I mean, what else have you learned from the data that might surprise people? Well, it's it's all sort of it depends, but people just assume a lot of things and you know, what we're so excited about is that tennis has always had great elements to it. We'll talk about what they are and we know what a lot of them are and um and and that in many ways, as Eric Abner, our head of communications, says, the, the who is sitting right here and, and is, is 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 blushing a little <laughs> bit now, um, the technology has finally caught up with the sport. So, but a lot of the things that we just assumed naturally um, just weren't true. Like that early rounds aren't necessarily as popular as latter rounds. Uh, on any given day, um, we can rate. We can do among the highest ratings uh, of a, of an event. Um, someone's going home in a body bag, you know, in single elimination, and therefore it's life and death every time. And that doesn't become less interesting just because it's a round of 32 or 64 or right. 16. Right. Um, the, the men and the women thing, um, I don't know how you know, people, a lot of people think, well, at the end of the day, the men are the, the bigger numbers on average. The ATP often, the, some players think that, you know, guys think that it's a matcha. Just not the case. It is almost invariably down the middle, 50-50 highest rated matches of the year, men versus women. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, and it's not... What's great about it is, to your question, it's not always the stars. They often involve one, but sometimes not. It's about a great contest. The trick of tennis isn't necessarily having the stars playing. Obviously, that's great. It's great for any sport to have people of renown who are really great doing it. It's about getting people there. The star is the name that gets someone there. Once you understand what's going on there, then it's just about a great contest. And it can be two people you never heard of, but you're never going to forget after you've seen that match. Right. Um, let's, have a, uh, let's have an abridged version. You, you referenced before that these, it's been a very curious year for sports ratings for any of a dozen reasons. You know, a week ago, we all went to the polls and this much, uh, much disputed, contentious election. We have sports... French Open is being played in October. The NBA Finals are being played in October. We have streaming. We have COVID. I mean, there are all sorts of variables here. How do you see this, though? Because, I mean, regardless of sort of what the answer is and what the explanation is, and it's probably several, um, these numbers are jarring. Yeah. Maybe not for tennis, but, I mean, if these yeah. sports viewership numbers, regardless of the cause and whether they bounce back, I'm just curious you're in this world more than anyone. Sure. What, what's your explanation? Um, and look, you know the history. I was at Fox where we got the NFL, and I've lived in the in you know with the economics of the other sports and general entertainment as well. And um, uh, look, I think there's two ways to think about it. And uh, one is that there's an obvious, direct, and immediate impact of the ratings deliveries in terms of the economics today, right? I mean, that just is what it is. And and it's compounded by the fact that sponsors and advertisers, obviously, are marketers are in a variety of places, some moving ahead, but some not, you know, needless to say, it's, it's uncertain. And that um, the whole thing is kind of jumbled and that there's a lot of transition going on in the media world anyway. That's all about today. In terms of the long term, I don't think I just... I think it would be unwise to draw any conclusion. I mean, why would you draw a conclusion from something that's happening now? I don't even understand the premise, that, and there's a lot of it, and I 
could be me, that people would look at this year's performance and then draw long-term conclusions about the health of anything. Right. Other than these things tend to accelerate certain types of behaviors or patterns, but I don't think those patterns were inherent and it's just sped up the fact that people don't like sports anymore or that they don't care. No, I mean, I think that's, that's the, that's the like, foundational question, right? It, yeah. Was this just an absolute throwaway year? They're just, yes. it's a fluke and sports will bounce back or was there something? I, it's the greatest for, fluke in the history of mankind when it comes to media, probably. I, 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 actually, right. that's probably not hyperbole. I mean, you, you literally have people are having to watch news because it affects their daily health. Uh, and it may affect their mental health. It may affect the politics of how they feel about the country, the way the country should be run. So there's that pattern that's interrupted. We're at home. I mean, we are in the most, we're, we're growing used to the fact that Zoom is, is, is the closest thing to intimacy, you know, most of us have, except for our immediate families. Um, and uh, so, I, like, I, I'm not sure exactly what the world is going to look like after this, but what I'm pretty sure is that people have always cared about storytelling and people have always cared about friendly competition. And that's what sports is and it's tribal and it has history and it has resonance in our lives. And I think that resonance will only grow. It may even explode after. It's just as likely are, to, uh, to grow. Right. Think Because, and if you want to go, well, how would that happen? First of all, we can't, let's just think about it. And I've never thought about it this way before, but it strikes me that what are we going to want when this is quote unquote over. Right. We're gonna to wanna to go back as much as possible to our lives, right? To something that resembled the good part of you, what you we mean loved. COVID or you mean election craziness? Oh, or, or, or but actually I was thinking COVID but right. and being locked in a room, but let's just right. call it twenty two let's maybe it's both. But I'm right. I'm thinking about being about being inside. Okay. And uh, and living differently and having businesses closed at least to the public and all that. Um uh, well, we're going to long for our rituals, right? That one of the biggest, maybe the biggest thing that's been interrupted by sports is one of the things that we take for granted, which is the calendar and how mm-hmm. they relate, sports relate specifically to that time of year, right? College football, if you love that, and baseball and the, whatever your sport is, or maybe it's all of your sports. Tennis, certainly, it's the seasons and the locations that we're in with the four right. majors. Right. This gives you a continuity in your life from birth to maybe the end where there's something you can rely on that you know you're going to be able to enjoy. Won't it be great to go back to that? And I don't know. There's just not enough great writers. There's not enough social media influencers that are going to become more important in the lives of people from 20 deep into 20, hopefully have at least halfway through 2021, you know, and beyond that's going to supplant the strength of sports. And I think of the baseball, you know, the baseball, they said, baseball's never going to come back. It's not going to survive this game. They always come right. back. And then we're, we're astounded by the recovery, as if it, it just couldn't have possibly happened. Right. But, but there was a reason why it fell so far. It's interesting, too, though. You, you mentioned history and embedding in the culture and tribalism. Well, that sounds an awful lot like we... Uh just went through in this election cycle if we have these emotions and we have these sort of it's almost evolutionary well where are we going to place our tribalism now that 
we don't have a presidential election. Well, maybe we go back to Clemson versus LSU and, and park it back in sports. And that's a really good point. And I think it will happen. I think I think we're going to thirst for it. Uh, number one and number two, it's probably also um, one of the reasons why the hyperparabolic fervor over this election. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why this election mattered to a lot of people on all sides, but it could only have been accentuated by the fact that sports weren't happening. There wasn't a respite. There wasn't the the great diversion where you learn about life in a different way, right? Instead of real life that second, but you learn the parable uh, that sports right. gives, and nobody writes better about that than you. Oh, stuff. There, there is a there is a think piece though about how this election was basically made into sports programming, and no you have experts I mean, and a big board and well, colors and, and themes. And, and, and I think that's yeah, no, it's mm-hmm. color wars, right? And I, I and that's uh, probably we're going to go I mean, to our politi- panel. It is that. Right. I mean, all elections are that, and this is. But it, what it, what is, what did the pandemic do? It accelerates things and it amplifies things, and it clearly took this to a whole new level. As so, as did the evolution of media right. and where we went. Well, that's I mean, so you're saying even with, even with streaming and change, tastes and change consumption patterns, you think these sports ratings bounce back? Look, I, there may be some adjustments, but let's not kid ourselves. There have already been adjustments. Where is streaming's role going to go? Right. I mean, who's going to? So that it's a constantly. Um, evolving scenario, but the overall, I don't believe for one second that the overall desire and thirst for sports and enthusiasm for sports and the economics of sports in the long term are going to be diminished. I think if anything, they can only be accentuated. I think that other things will necessarily fall away that may have been hanging on. Middle-level programming, narrative programming, doesn't is is real tough no, to make these days because either you're a hit, that you're either you're binge-worthy or you don't exist, right? And so, but sports is a guaranteed event, right? Right, which is what uh, that's what you want in media right now. You bet. Um, so you referenced this. This will sound sycophantic, but I'm just speaking facts. Um, You'd be the only You've one. You've had a uh, no. I mean, your 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 resume speaks for itself. You you candidly, you don't have to be doing this. Why tennis? This is it's it's just funny because I, I you know the story. My family was a big tennis family, and I of course then thus revolt. I didn't revolt against it, but I decided you know I, I, I wasn't going to be the thing for me. I was going to go out and do other sports. I played, and but you, you can hit the ball, don't you? I, I can hit it, but I you know I wasn't going to be yeah. I wasn't ever going to be the best one in the house. Uh, I was going to be the worst one. Um, but, um, you know, I was thinking about it on the way over here, and and it, it is just a, a great coincidence. This is, this should have been a very short-term proposition. You know, it wasn't, I'd lo- we had a vision for what it might be, the things that might make it you're talking, you're talking tennis. Tennis channel. Yeah, right. Um, because it just didn't exist. And our goal was always to a day when people could never imagine that they couldn't see the entire tour from around the world live simultaneously bouncing from place to place on multiple courts at one time on all platforms. It's just friggin' great, John. I mean, we're so lucky to be able to, first of all, make people happy, 
right? We either give people something that they already loved and more of it, and you just love it more, right? It, it never gets worse. It only, you only want to see more of it. Or we get to walk around and, and give people the Kool-Aid they've never tried of this sport that's been around for so long for a reason, but was inaccessible or just too infrequent to develop a habit for because media didn't support it. So how much fun is it? And the other thing is that it happens to be maybe the perfect sport. This may be egocentrism, but I don't think so. I think it, it may be the perfect sport for the modern, fractionalized, multi-platform media scenario that we find ourselves in today where you have big platforms and then you have personalization and a lot of mm-hmm. stuff in between. We're the original binge wow, And it's keep going. And it's global. It's the network. And I it's, mean, it's uh... global and it's individuals and there are a hundred people behind right. every one of those individuals and, and, there's, and it's local and real people play it and it's men and women and... I mean, the idea... Well, the age range we've talked about. Coco Goff is uh, young enough to be Roger Federer's daughter. You and, bet. And it's multiple stories of a bracket of somewhere between 32 and 128 men and or women at the same time getting down to one at the end each week that all inform each other. So if you want a bite-sized piece... I mean, we just want to get you on the front end. Nobody tunes out at the, you know, over the course of the week, if they're a tennis fan, once we get you hooked into the narrative because of the sterling reporting, uh, and, 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 but seriously, it, it actually, I don't know what could be better. I don't know what could compete. If you write the greatest television show in the world, if you're John Wells or you were Stephen Bach, it it goes away and then you got to come up with another one, right? And that's the best. Right. Um, here we have a guaranteed January, December 31st to deep into the end of the year, right? A, a story that unfolds every single day all over right. the world with really cool people, men and women, and locally people play it all over the world as well. Unscripted. I don't know how you beat that. No. Um, all right. Take us out with uh, – because I, I think, A, it's a nice metaphor for Tennis Channel, but also it's one of my favorites. We you take us out with the Novak Djokovic in Paris story? The, 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 the van in front of the Eiffel Tower. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, we didn't prepare for this. Wow. I, I threw you really, like, right. threw that's, me for a, a loop. This is, I'm feeling <laughs> – it was a drop there's a, there's a metaphor in the story. That's my, that's well, my tee-up. Well, Novak was, you know, a young kid who was starting to make his way into the sort of rounds of 16 and the quarters. And, and uh, we had tried to – we had our first Roland Garros in 2007, and we said, how do we make it special beyond doing the multiple court coverage and being always on? And one thing was we were going to have a mobile set. And it was 50 feet long with a giant, it was a white gleaming set with a giant 50 foot long tennis racket on it. And the problem was it was really hard to get players to come out from the site to come visit us for this primetime show that Bill McAtee and Martina and, and were, were doing. And Bill was really the, the host at the time. We were so lucky to have him. And on basically the first night, it was actually the second night, the first premiere was just kind of our own. Po- we had... We were parked under the Eiffel Tower by the carousel at the base mm-hmm. of the Trocadero. And we got this guy, Novak Djokovic, who I had been following. David Egdis, our head of, of, of tennis industry relations, our SVP and of, of that, got him to come out with his family, comes out in his leather jacket. And this cool 
kid with a lot of swagger who could do great imitations came out and he was just fantastic you know it was just and it just blew us away and uh, he became one of our you know great friends his parents asked us to make a tape for him because he couldn't get a sponsorship deal so they said oh could you just make a tape for him so we could go sell him they did okay um, no, I love it though. This was this was not that long ago. So Novak Djokovic was in the draw. Tennis Channel's show was remote around Paris because it did not quite have the uh, the stature to have the, the set we have now. And 2007, Novak Djokovic is coming out in a leather jacket and uh, graciously and, and gracefully appearing on the set in the middle of Paris. And 13 years later, he's ranked number one, and Tennis Channel's doing eight figure deals with uh, with the ATP. It's uh, it, it, oh. you know what you <laughs> that sounds pretty like that? good. I All like right. when you put a bow on it like that. Um, this was great. Glad we glad we could do this. Glad we could uh, you know sort of give us a bit of a state of the union about Tennis Channel and um, lot lot to look forward to. We like we we love you. We love supporting what you do from behind the camera and behind the microphone. Uh, but uh, uh, once in a while, we'll step out and talk about it. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Okay, thanks to Ken for a good conversation. Ken is really uh, the pumping heart of Tennis Channel, and uh, I would say the network's growth speaks for itself. I don't know if that Djokovic story quite punched through, but uh, again, barely a decade ago, Tennis Channel at the French Open was basically uh, a van driving around Paris hoping players would uh, come and talk because there wasn't room at the inn inside Roland Garros. And now uh, Tennis Channel has the rights to Roland Garros and many other events. Uh, it's a presence at all four majors. It's in 60 million homes, carving deals with the WTA and ATP. Um, again, I say this with fully conflicted interests, but uh, also deep inside the sausage factory, I can tell you that this really is a force of good within the sport. Uh, we only hope there will be a full slate of tournaments and coverage in 2021. Um, so thanks to Ken. Thanks to Jamie for producing Thanks to you for your guest suggestions. Several of you asked uh, whether we would talk about this Tennis Channel deal the last few weeks and uh, make some sense of it. I figured we'd go right to the top. So uh, thanks again to Ken. Keep the guest suggestions coming. Leave a review. uh, Subscribe. iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We will have another podcast in seven days. Have a good week, everyone. (laughs) 